Now, I'm going to tell you right off the start, this message is really thick, right? Even as, I, as I'm looking over it this morning, I'm like, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to have to be amazing this morning, right? Between what I'm saying and what you're going to hear and understand and take away, without the Holy Spirit between us, you're just going to go home and what in the world was he talking about this morning? I have no idea. So quick prayer, Father, by the power of your Spirit, present this message to these people through my words, but through your heart and, and your word and your wisdom. Thank you, Father. In your son's name I pray. Amen. This is our final message in our series, Come and See, uh, the book of John. And as I was preparing this week, um, something caught my attention. So I'm reading through, you know, the, the Gospels and, and John in particular, um, with very, very few exceptions. <laughs> Nobody in Scripture comes to Jesus looking for forgiveness of sins. <laughs> Let that sink in for just a second. They didn't come to Jesus looking, hey, you know, check out Jesus' tour dates and when he comes to town, we're all going to go, and he's, he's going to stand up there in front of the crowd and tell the whole crowd all my sins. <laughs> Woo-hoo! No, that's not what people were looking for in Jesus a- at all. <laughs> now, now, he, he had this in mind, but, but not, not, the, not the people. That's not what they were thinking about at all. Like, because without any context, right, that, that's bad news. That's not good news, right, that you're, you're a wreck of a person. Imagine a football coach hired to revive a, a struggling program, and he big opening speech, big prep rally, the alumni is there, the students are there, the parents and the community, and he proceeds to tell the community how horrible this football program is, how horrible the coaches are, how horrible the players are, and then he concludes the message, hey, on Friday night we're going to be playing our first game, come on out, come and see the worst football team you've ever seen. Right? That's not what Jesus came to do. And, and yet a lot of people that are not in the church, they kind of look at us Christians. They look at Jesus and go, he's just a horrible football coach. He's just going to come and tell us how horrible we are. Why would I want to go to his place? That sounds like a horrible team to be a part of. He sounds mean. And we here in the church are like, no, 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 no. He's really awesome. He's loving. He's... Maybe, we're not... He's... Maybe he's not saying it right. No, here's what they were looking for, and here's what Jesus came to give them, to give them compassion and acceptance and purpose and healing and assurance and relief and value and and wholeness and really the Hebrew word shalom, right? Everything in life that God wants you to have, this is what Jesus came to give them, and this is what the people wanted. They wanted shalom. They wanted all of the goodness that God had planned for them. The only people talking about the people's sin were the religious leaders. I don't know if you recognize that. The only people who wanted to, hey, Jesus, Jesus, look at their sin. (laughs) And it wasn't that sin wasn't an issue to Jesus. It was a big issue. But the deeper manifest issue is one of alienation and loneliness and helplessness and the inevitable death that seems to be behind every part and parcel of life. They were coming to Jesus and they were crying out, woe is me, I feel like death, not woe is me, I'm a sinner, right? We got Isaiah saying that, but he's a pretty good church guy. He's not out there in the world. He, He knows. They're not saying, woe is me, I'm a sinner. Woe is me, I feel like death. My world, my relationships, everything is in absolute chaos. It's just a mess. 
And Jesus had compassion on them. Why? Because he would look at them and, and they, would, they had no life in their eyes. You ever see somebody in this? It's not like you're seeing dead, but you're not seeing any life. They're like there's nothing there, just a blank stare, walking dead. That's where the New Testament refers to people who don't have life, walking dead. Again, Jesus knew the culprit was sin. But experience had shown, and he understood this, is, is when you make it all about the sin, it only makes the matter worse, right? That was the problem with the law. It just made everything. It pointed out our, what is wrong, but it became a trap for us. It became the forbidden fruit. Hey, don't look in that box. Whoa, now I got to look in that box, right? The law became a trap. Jesus is looking at the situation. Now, I can point out their sin all day long, but I've... The law has proven that that's really not going to help anybody. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. All day long. How is that going to help you? You're wrong. You're still wrong. You'll be wrong tomorrow. You'll be wrong the next day. (laughs) That's not good news. That's horrible news. Horrible news. So John tells us that Jesus came to give the people what they wanted. They, They wanted life. And this is what Jesus came to give them. This is in John chapter 1, verse 4. It says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Let me reword that from what we learned last night. In him was life, and that life was the Shekinah, right? The very God life itself of all mankind. This is what Jesus represented. This is what he encapsulated. This this was him, the light of all mankind. It, it, It resided in him, right? The perfect image bearers. Where we were horrible image bearers, Christ becomes the perfect image bearer. So my question this morning for us is, why is it that like the football coach, so many well-intended, well-intentioned Christians start off their evangelistic outreach message with how bad people are <laughs> and the fact that Jesus can fix you, right? You're, you're really horrible. <laughs> you're horrible, but Jesus can fix you. That's not a message that's going to be met with any kind of, oh, I love you. Tell me more. Tell me more about how horrible I am. Tell me more. Tell me more. See, in their mind, the people that we're trying to reach, they don't think they're the problem. And I think they're right to a certain degree. Right? They look at the world and said, the world is so messed up that it's driving us to do. The world is the messed up place, not us. Right? The world has driven us to do these horrible things. What, what, is, what, what did y'all do to the world that you left us this mess so now that we got to steal and lie and kill and destroy? Right? The world's the messed up place. Don't point your finger at me. This is what the world, as they look at us Christians, this is what they're saying. Don't point your finger at me. You guys are the Christians. Fix it. <laughs> Fix it. Look at a little kid on, on the commercial for global warming. Hey, I'm a six-year-old. What do I know? You're the adult. You fix it. <laughs> so when we reach evangelism, we start thinking about outreach, and we start thinking about sharing Christ, we arrive at this point right here. You don't want to tell them, and they don't want to be told. <laughs> that makes sense? I mean, that's a non-starter. That's a horrible situation. I don't want to have to tell you because it's bad news. You're a horrible person, and you don't want to hear that either. So where do we start the conversation? So here's the problem, I think. In Scripture, there's really two stories being told. I don't know if you're aware of this. Two grand stories, big stories, right, overarching stories that start at the beginning and end at the end. 
not just little vignettes, not, not little sub-stories. Um, and when we conflate these two stories, when we treat them as if they were the same, or if we confuse them, then each one of these two stories loses their significance and loses their power. Now, here's the weird thing. These two stories cannot ever be separated. <laughs> they are meant to be together, and they can never, ever, ever be separated. But in order to understand them, we can't just treat them as the same thing. They are two different stories. And this is important because it, it, it will come to the, the point of what story are we telling the people who need to hear Jesus, who need to, who desire access to life, and an escape from death, right? What, what story are, which story are we going to tell them of these two stories? Again, if we don't, if we confuse them, we risk losing sight of the significance of both of them. And we end up pushing something or somebody on somebody um, who's already decided that they don't want that somebody or that something. They've already decided that that somebody or something is irrelevant in their life. Or we make the mistake of telling them something about themselves that they're simply not ready to hear. Some people aren't ready to hear, <laughs> you're bad. Conversations ends right there. Conversation's over, and you're standing there all alone. So here's the gospel story as many people have it. This is the gospel story. This is one of the stories, and I, and I suggest to you this is the story within the story. It's not the big story, and I'm making some people nervous. This is the littler story. This is the story within the story, right? I'm going to call it the grand narrative because this is the way we treat it. Act one is the perfect creation, right? Everything was perfect. God created everything. Uh, act two, the fall, we messed up. Humanity sinned, messed up everything. And act three is the Christ response. And what is the Christ response? Jesus died for your sins. Repent and believe in Jesus so you can be forgiven and go to heaven for all eternity when you die. Now, think about that. If you are a person who absolutely loves the world and everybody in the world, this is not a pretty message. This is, out of context, this is kind of an ugly, mean, bad news message. It's basically, hey, every man for himself. And again, if you're a lover of people, that's not your mantra. That's not the way you roll. That's not the way you operate in your life. You are your brother's keeper because you love them. And you look at something like this and you think, well, that's kind of self serving. That, that doesn't do anything for all the rest of us. Great for you. You get to go to, but what, what about the rest of us? But again, this is only the human story within the bigger creation story. This is what Eric Bale writes. Dr. Eric Bale writes this. He says, rather than viewing creation as the stage upon which the human story unfolds, the story itself is about creation. Right? The story's not about the fall of mankind. The story of the Bible is about creation. That's the story. Humanity is just one actor among many parts of God's creation. Humanity is interconnected with the rest of the creation story. Wait a minute. Humanity is interconnected with the rest of creation in this story and has an important role to fulfill in relation to all the other actors. Right? We, humanity, we look at this story and we think we're the center of everything. Humanity is the center of everything, but we're not. We're only one part of everything. We're one part of creation. 
Now, true that all the rest of creation will find their meaning and find their place through us because we are God's image bearers, and He did assign us that task, as we're going to find out, to minister to the world and make sure the entire world is loving each other and loving God and loving neighbor. That, that, that's the, that was human's task as image bearers. As we're going to find out we didn't do too good. So here's the bigger story. Here's the creation story. It's a story for, uh, of death to life. And one big overarc, starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and going all the way to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. This is the story of the Bible. This is the big story. This is, this is the, the, the grand narrative, really. Check this out. In Genesis 1 and 2, we start the story with nothing but death, right? No life whatsoever. And then by the end of the story, in Revelation 21, verse 4, we have the end of death. That's the biblical story. Humanity is simply an actor on that stage with that big play being played out. We're just one actor on the stage. It's not entirely about us. That's weird, I know. But if you read carefully in Scripture, God is all about all of creation. All of creation. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we have this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Now there's two ways we can read this, traditionally, historically. One is steps one and two, right? Step one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then step two, he's going to take this lump of clay, whatever you want to call it, and he's going to like breathe life into it, right? That's one way of reading this passage. But a second way of reading this passage might be more helpful. That's just all I'll say. And, and that is, in verse 1, we have what's called a thesis statement, right? It's not going to be step 1 and step 2. Verse 1 is the thesis statement, and verses 2 all the way through chapter 2, verse 3, that's the rest. That, that's encapsulated what goes on in verse 1. Because here's the problem if we do it as step 1 and step 2. If God created all this stuff and it's formless, then what we have is we have God creating death. God created this big, dead ball. But if we read into Scripture carefully, God doesn't create death. God is the author of life. Now, I know this gets really tricky. This gets, this gets, gets a little bit, a little bit thick. Now, now, I can say all this. So at this, this second option, the first statement is a thesis statement, and then we have verse 2 is the, really the beginning of the story. Um, and what we have in verse 2, the, in the beginning, um, is the scene of earth's primal condition. Now, listen very carefully. Before God does anything, before God does anything, we have earth, but it's dead. Now, now again, I can say that, and, and this is one of the mysteries, just a little bit of mystery, and I can still affirm that God created out of nothing. We as a Christian, we believe that God created out of nothing. It's not like there was this big ball of... of chaos floating around out there eternally with God, that means that it was uncreated and it was eternally present with God. And nowhere in Scripture do we have that idea, right? So I, I, I can, when I say that, that, that in verse 2, I'm looking at the earth before God does anything, I can affirm that God created out of nothing. I'm going to show you how I can do that. And I can still deny that the universe was coexisted, coexisted eternally with God like a big old lump of clay. And one day God decides, hey, presto, and gives it life. See, but the biblical writers, this is, this is crucial here, biblical writers, to them, nothing 
isn't necessarily the absence of a material something. I really worked that in that statement. Nothingness isn't necessarily the absence of a material something, right? I just, I'm going to stop talking for a second and let that sink in just a little bit. In ancient Hebrew speak, I don't know why I wrote Hebrew speak, nothingness and being relationless and death, those are all three synonymous. They're interchangeable, right? You're dead if you are not in a relationship with somebody. You're, you're dead. You're nothing. You only become something in relation. Love is only something when you're in relationship with somebody. Otherwise, it's just an idea, right? Love has to have an object to love. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of letters strung out creating a word. It doesn't mean anything. Love has to have an object to love. Nothingness and relationless and death are synonymous to the biblical writers. And in Genesis 1-2, nothing about the earth was expressing itself in love toward God and neighbor. Nothing of that creation was benefiting anything or anybody else. Okay, kind of hold on to that idea. Genesis 1, verse 2 describes nothing but barrenness, emptiness, and nothingness. But now enter God and nothing becomes something. It sounds like I'm trying to trick you with language. I'm not. Inner God and nothing becomes something. Understand, creation's life isn't an outflow of its own intrinsic characteristics or its own innate capacity, right? It's not like God's walking around and, and, and think and, and, and something in that object, that some innate life that's already a part of it springs to life and all it, it requires is the touch of Jesus, of God, and God's going around, you know, like a fairy. Think. And, 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 and bringing all these things to life. That, that's not the picture that, just, that the Bible describes at all. Actually, the Bible, the picture of creation's life in Scripture is actually one of God inhabiting or dwelling in something or someone that actually imparts the life to that something or somebody. Right? The picture in Scripture, creation's life is only life when God inhabits it. Otherwise, it's dead. It's relationless. God inhabits it, and it becomes a relationship. No relationships, no life, nothingness. Once you kind of keep those ideas in your head, kind of hang them together. And here's the second movement of the creation story. In verse 2, we have this. And the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, so we've got God, the Father, initiates creation. And now we've got the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, hovering over whatever it is that God's starting, right? But only the possibility of somethingness being made out of nothingness. See, the Holy Spirit is hovering over. The Spirit can't reach in and do something. The Spirit is incorporeal. It can't reach in and slap you in the face, right? We, we, God needs us to slap each other in the face. He's spirit. He doesn't do, he can't, right, right? So what we have then is we have the will to initiate life in God the Father, and we have the possibility of life by way of the Spirit, right, the breath of life. But what about the Son? How does Jesus fit into the creation story? See, most of you are thinking, I know, well, Jesus comes at Christmas time there, Pastor. <laughs> Remember incarnation? <laughs> you preached about it last December. Where are you going there, Pastor? How does Jesus fit into the creation story? 
I'm going to tell you, but first I want you to take a really quick look at the Trinity. Just an idea. I think this is where we get off base on a lot of our thoughts about God and, and salvation and, and so forth. See, we tend to assign different tasks to each person of the Godhead, right? God creates, Jesus saves, and the Holy Spirit inspires and guides, right? Does that kind of ring a bell with everybody? Right? Each, each, each part, each person in the Godhead has a job to do, and there are three separate jobs. That is so grossly inaccurate. That is not the picture in Scripture at all, and yet this is the, this is the way we kind of think about them. But that is incredibly inaccurate. There is no division of labor with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In everything they do, they do in unison. Right? All three work in perfect relational unison in God's, all of God's projects, whether it's creation, salvation, the church, worship, holiness, spiritual gifts, even the end times. It's not like one steps in off the bench, okay, you're in, and we'll sit here on the bench and root for you. That's not the picture at all in Scripture. It's, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit always working in perfect unison in, and through every single God project. Never separate the Trinity. They have life because they are never separated. Never separated. That's what gives them their life, and that's how they can give us life. No division of labor whatsoever. Each work begins with God the Father, is mediated through God the Son, and is completed in God the Spirit. And by extension, now here's, here's again, can get a little thick here. By extension, if life is defined by relationships, and I, I think I've been trying to make that connection for you. If life is defined by relationships, when in, which inherently must involve give and take, there's got to be, be somebody to hear it and somebody to respond, somebody to call, somebody to respond back, right? That, that's life. Otherwise, you're just a rock sitting in the middle of a field. Okay, it's, it's got to be a response back. It's got to be a response back. Then the life brought forth from death can only be life in its truest sense if it has the capacity to give and take or respond positively to the beckoning call of the already always present Spirit of God. This is where Jesus enters into the equation. This is where Jesus enters into the creation story. Way before Christmas, like way, way, way before Christmas, as the third movement, Jesus is the third movement of God's Genesis creation activity. And notice I said that very carefully. The Genesis creation activity. And what I'm driving at is the creation story isn't just in Genesis. The creation story, as you recall, ends in Revelation. Right? Just make sure we're clear on that. So we enter Jesus. This is in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Well, what in the world is John talking about? Here's what he's saying. By making the world through Jesus, John is telling us that all creation, both heaven and, excuse me, both human and non-human, now, that's the kicker, both human and non-human. By making the world through Jesus Christ, the world then has the capacity to respond back to the life-giving, beckoning call of the Holy Spirit, even inanimate objects. You read in Genesis, it says, let there be, let there be light, let there be water, let there be land, and then you notice the language changes just a little bit, let the land bring forth, let the water bring forth. So the water and the land is responding to the voice, the Word of God. And it can only respond because it's being made, the earth is being, creation is being made through Jesus Christ, is being made through a relationship. That's how the earth, that's how the universe has life, because it's made through Jesus Christ, and he can respond back to the creator God. 
I hope this is making sense because in my head it makes total sense. It's, it's coming out of my mouth. It's like gibberish. Remember, no relationship, no life, nothing but death. But through the tandem of God the Son and God the Spirit, right, word and spirit, God always works through word and spirit. By the tandem of the word and spirit, God the Father can have a relationship with creation. And it's in that relationship that we have life. And if it weren't for the Son and the Spirit, we could not have life with God because God is... He is not creation. He's not the created. He's the creator. He can't enter into creation because creation has death in it. It has the possibility of death. But in Christ, God can enter our world and be with us even though we're a messed up place. God can still dwell with us, but it's only in Christ because through Christ, Christ entered death and even defeated death. We sang that this morning. Here's the other end of the creation story arc. This is in Revelation. I told you this, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, those of you who love the ocean, right, take this with a grain of salt. Wow, that was really cool. Um, To the Jewish people, the sea represented everything dark and scary was under the, the water. Right? Even in the creation story, we have uh, all the land is underneath the water. It's dead and buried. Right? That's where death is. So, in the, again, in the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, underneath the water, that's where death. Again, you don't see a Jewish surfing team in the Olympics. Did anybody? No. They don't like the water. Right? It's just, anyway, all right, I'm going way off track here. Um, And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, how is this all possible? How how did we arrive at this from the human story, the mess that we messed everything up, where we were the horrible image bearers, and we didn't do anything that we were supposed to do, right? We were supposed to spread God's love around the globe, and we said, no, right? We We want our own world. You have your own world, God. We want our world, And then God said, spread around the whole globe. He told him again and said, no, we're going to build ourselves a big giant tower and we're going to glorify ourselves. It's like God's like, ah, you guys are killing me, literally. So again, how is this all possible? How did this beautiful ending come about after such a disastrous start? Well, it's the work of the triune God. It's not the God of the Father. It's not the God of the Son. not the God of the Holy Spirit. It's the triune God, all three working in unison to give us life. Paul sums it up for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read this earlier. Patty, thank you. Then the end will come. Okay, this is, this is what, what uh, Revelation is referring to. Then the end will come when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after Jesus has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And on the cross, God breaks into death, goes into death, takes God with him. 
so that even death loses when it comes face to face with the life of God. Even death loses. Death goes backwards, right? What was dead comes back to life. Crazy. The last enemy to destroy it is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under his feet, it's clear that he does not include God himself, who put everything. This is a weird little parenthetical there. Um, and then we conclude in verse 28. When he has done this, when Jesus, through Jesus, when we have all accepted him and trusted him, accepted his life into our own, when all that has happened, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, God the Father, who put everything under him, Jesus, the Son, so that God may be all in all. That's the end of the creation story when through Christ and by the giving of the Holy Spirit, there will come a day when God will be all in all. Right? This won't be a sanctuary temple. The whole earth will be the sanctuary temple. The entire earth will finally, finally reveal the love of God. That's the bigger story. That's the grand story of the Bible, right? The creation story from Genesis to Revelation. The triune God inhabiting his world to give it life and to save it from the possibility of death. But the creation story doesn't end with Genesis. This is, and I was telling you about this a little earlier. Genesis the end of the creation story will be when God himself, when God's self or God's Shekinah will permeate every square inch of his creation, when all of creation will lovingly, can lovingly respond to God and neighbor, thus experiencing true life, abundant life. And as humans, again, as humans, as God's human, his, his image bearers, right, we were supposed to manage and orchestrate this whole thing. That was our job. That's what he, that's what he, the privilege that he gave us, manage this whole ark, bring life to death in conjunction with him, in partnership with him as his image bearers. But we failed. You, now, now we have the other story, the story within the story, right, that many grew up believing was the story, and that's the human story. But recognize that the human story is only the story within the story of creation, we're just one actor on the stage, and, and we're an important actor on the stage. In fact, God calls us to be his image bearer, to do what he would do if he were here, if he could be within creation. We, but we failed. we failed. We failed miserably, right? And again, this is the story within the story that many grew up believing was the story, the human story. But the fact of the matter is, that throughout the creation story, death was always a possibility. When God created, through Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, death was always a possibility, and we see that actually playing out in real time in Genesis chapter 3. Death becomes a reality, not just a possibility, but a reality. See, creation could always respond negatively or discreatively to the Spirit's call to fellowship in life. We, the creation, can always say no. Blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We say no to the God life. We can do that. God gave us. We're not robots. He doesn't make us love him. We can say no. And so within this creation story arc, God knew that the possibility of death was always there. 
Now, here's the kicker then. Regardless of whether we failed or succeeded, God's plan always included to send Jesus because in Jesus we have God complete. We have a perfect, complete picture of loving God, loving neighbor, loving self, loving creation in Jesus Christ. He is the revelation. He's not information about something. He is the information, right? We, we love the Bible, but the Bible is not... Strictly speaking, Revelation, it reveals Revelation. The Bible reveals Jesus Christ. The Bible will not save you. You don't like to hear that. The Bible will not save you. The Bible will lead you to the one who can save you. The Bible will reveal the one who will save you. And the perfect revelation is Jesus Christ. He reveals God perfectly. And again... God's plan always included Jesus and the Holy Spirit as the completion of creation. Only by way of the incarnation and eventually the giving of the Holy Spirit could God permanently enter into and dwell amongst his people, thus establishing life. God the Father can't do it because there's death involved in creation. There's the possibility of death, and that's not God. God is the opposite of that. So how does this apply to evangelism? Right? That was my big question at the very beginning of all this. How do we talk to people about Jesus in a way that makes it good news and not bad news? See, when we start with the second story, the story within the story, the human story, we always got to start with, you're a horrible person. Let's have lunch together. Let's have coffee. You're going to get a big no really, really quick. But if you start with the bigger story, the creation story, then you're talking, right? Then you're on a common page with somebody because everybody experiences death. Not everybody recognizes the sin in their life, but they all recognize the death in their life, the pain, the sorrow, the separations, the relationships that are severed. All of that is recognizable, and, and nobody has problems admitting to that. That's the starting point. That's the point where Jesus started. Remember that people came to Jesus. They weren't, oh, save me from my sins. No, save me from death. Give me life. I don't have any relationships. I am nothing I feel like death. See, our call is to love and embrace them for who they are and where they are. And if we do that, I'm not saying that we ignore their sin. I'm saying that we first address the manifest issue of death before we address the cause of that. And in fact, if I read my scripture correctly, the Holy Spirit will do that very well on his own. He doesn't need us to, bad, 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 bad. He just doesn't need us. He, he, does, he, he does that really well, but he does it with love and, and in a way that we respond positively. Like, yeah, I don't want that in my life. So again, how do we do this? I think in Jesus, God gave us the big hint. Right? We, we've called this series, Come and See, but a lot of people, they don't want to come and see because they have these preconceived ideas that this isn't a place of life, it's a place of death, and we're going to point their fingers at them and say, die. But I think in, in, in Jesus Christ, he gives us a, a big tool that should be the main tool in our tool belt. It's called the incarnation. The only way that God could give life to us is by leaving his comfortable place and going and dwelling with Richland, leaving the church building and, and finding some way to do church in downtown Richland, right? Go and see, 
come and see. Go and tell, come and see. We kind of got to do both. Come and see, go and tell. That's the incarnation. People aren't busting down the doors to get into the churches. And I think that might be because we're giving them, we're starting with the wrong story. We're starting with how bad they are and not with how much God loves them and wants to give them life. Let me close. Father, you, you love us so much and we, we fall so far short, but you love us so much that you refuse to leave us in that situation, that situation of, of death. And so, Father, you entered our world. You entered the world of the possibility of death. Father, and on the cross, I don't know how to explain this, but you experienced death. Father, the Spirit's work of being the glue of the Trinity, his work was frustrated on the cross. There was separation. If what I'm reading correctly is right, then in that separation was, was, was death. God experienced death. This wasn't just a, a one-off for him. The triune God experienced the separation of relationship, which is death. And so, Father, we stand in awe that you would enter death for us so that you could then pull us back out of death and bring us to life with your son by the power of your spirit. That's the message that people need to hear and they're dying to hear that they can have life and can they, they, they can have the good things in life. They can have assurance and they can have value and significance and wholeness. And then they'll figure out that some of the things, some of the habits, some of their lifestyles, that has been the problem, but that's not the place we start. Father, that's not the place your son started. Father, help us start with the creation story in every conversation that we have with people. And in that story, God, you want to give people life. And you want to give it to them abundantly. You want to make them whole. And there's nothing more that humanity wants than to be made whole again. Thank you for this gift, Father. By the power of your spirit and by your son's name we pray. Amen.